song called Staying Alive would be in order. <laughs> Pull up a chair, kids. We have a um, learn something new this week. Do you know that you can go to your local utility company and look up to find out any um, transformers in your area? And aren't I in the lucky house? I have, well, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Go on Google Maps, okay? It's fun. Tour, 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 excuse me, tour around, okay? And um, I have a half dozen. I, my, my alley behind my house, <laughs> solid, <laughs> solid transformers, okay? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Staying Alive is now our theme song because, boy, they are seriously after this house. And, you know, I wonder about my neighbors, but I think what's happening is is that all of these Transformers, and let me tell you, <laughs> I've toured around a lot of areas. I'm not just talking out of the top of my hat here. <laughs> you will not find in a residential area, in a one-block area, over a half dozen Transformers. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. <laughs> If you go out to like an industrial park area of your town, you'll find some, okay, high away from buildings, okay? But you will not find one in a residential area that many in such a confined area. And so, yeah, we are just buzzing here. So I have a new solution. Well, one thing is, so go look in your, um, go figure out how to identify the transformers in your area, okay? That this is important to know. <laughs> And also, um, just keep your eyes out for those utility trucks. So anyway, so what I've also done is um, we're holed up in one particular room. And um, we have these, um, I found these kind of cheap little um, fans that blow air in from the outside. So as long as they're not really pluming us from the outside, but it is wicked in here. <laughs> okay, so let me get started. Today, I'm going to be talking about Bill Gates. I have been saying that this thing with nuclear energy and dams, go look at all my shows I've done the last few months, they are in fact eugenics devices hiding in plain sight. But before I get started, there's something that I want to point out to you. There's a very good show and the title is The Hidden Chemicals Destroying American Farms. The Hidden Chemicals Destroying American Farms. Basically, remember I've been talking about the PFAS, PFASs in our water system, okay? And at the time that I talked about it, I kept saying, why is the EPA all of a sudden making this big announcement about PFAS? Didn't make sense to me, right? Because everybody knows the water's polluted, right? So anyway, here's what I think it is, and this is going on in Michigan, this farm. This farm got polluted by a polluter, okay? The polluter, interestingly enough, is owned by private equity. And yeah, private equity is are the people who are really moving in. They're, BlackRock is black private equity, okay? So anyhow, so bottom line, this story, very sad. Farms there, they get, all of a sudden, they get tested, okay? Why are they getting tested? Well, do the math, right? So this farm happens to get tested 
because they were testing the area. His l lawyer said it wasn't like just like, oh, they just picked this guy out. So, okay, so they tested the farm. They found out heavy levels of these PFAPs on his farm. So they, they know where the PFAPs are coming from down the stream from this chemical, this company who's producing chemicals. And when they got bought out by private equity, they started really dumping them into the water, okay? This is how it works. So anyhow, so bottom line is this guy is losing his farm because of this pollution. <clears throat> and this is how it's going to work. Because remember, they do the test. So what's to stop them from going on any farm in this country and saying, hey, <laughs> you're contaminated. Um, we're closing you down because that's exactly what happens. You get closed down. So good luck surviving, right? <clears throat> so that, that makes your farmland available for purchase, right? So anyhow, so let me get to the subject today. I want to talk to you just in this one piece in this one clip today. So anyway, so I, I wandered off about the fans in my window. So you, for those of you that my noise drives you crazy, this isn't the show for you because I can't be in this room without the fans going. So, so okay, <clears throat> so just as a recap, the eugenics movement actually started by a Sir Francis Galton, G-A-L-T-I-N, but his cousin was Charles Darwin, right? And I've talked about the Charles Darwin deal in the show I did about human zoos. So go look for that show. But anyway, so his cousin was Charles Darwin, who hoped to better mankind through the science of improving the human species by selectively mating people with specific desirable hereditary traits. Decades of research on controlled breeding, including including through means of sterilization, soon became accepted mainstream science at the turn of the century, and the eugenics movement was born. And here again, we keep coming back to the 19th century, right? Supporters of eugenics believe people inherit mental illness, criminal tendencies, and even poverty, and that these conditions can be bred out of the human gene pool through forced sterilization. Not surprisingly, undesirable traits were concentrated in poor, uneducated, and minority populations. <coughs> excuse me. Many excuse me. Many, many professionals in the scientific and biological fields rigorously research ways to improve the human race through means of eliminating those negative traits. And the movement would soon gain widespread, widespread political support, particularly in Australia. Following World War I, numerous eugenics-based ideologies were beginning to enter mainstream societies across the world. However, after Hitler would adopt these concepts, and implement an aggressive form of the concept, the world grew sour and a new change was needed to continue. What they're saying here is that the eugenics movement or the um, experiments under Hitler needed to improve. You see, there's always improving, right? Because remember, in the 50s, up until the 50s, they were actually giving women lobotomies and then what changed? Well, they came up with a cheaper method, which was drugs, to drug women. Oh, and speaking of drugs, it's now come full circle. 
because I've done so much work on that Sackler family and the Sackler family who also invented Valium. Well, <laughs> I hate to tell you, but they're back. Um, what's going on now is, see, Valium was rebranded and its name now is Diazepam, D-I-A-Z-A-P-A-M. <clears throat> It's in the point. It's in the same group of meds as the um, Xanax and all the other ones. But diazepam is now what used to be called Valium. Okay, Valium was created by the Sackler family. So what's going on now? I read a news report <clears throat> just I don't know a couple days ago, and it said the uh, people with back problems and muscle spasms the um, because opioids are so dangerous, what are they prescribing now? Well, Valium, under the name of diazepam. So sales of Valium are skyrocketing because people are cutting back on opioids. See how this all works? Okay, so anyway, so back here. So, so the concepts of eugenics were not exercised from Western thinking following World War II. Rather, they went underground or were reinvented by assuming more compassionate guises. And here again, compassionate guises like, you know, drugs and stuff, right? Which actually, every one of their compassionate guises are also cheaper, right? There's a person, I looked him up, named Julian Huxley, I'd forgotten what they did, and Julian Huxley's significant contributions to the movement ensured that the underlying notions associated with eugenics would transform and continue into new social movements. So Sir Julian Huxley, of course a sir, I, I can't, when I see them now with their, um, wearing all their awards and stuff, it actually kind of makes me laugh because how pathetic is that, right? You have to give yourself all these awards and stand around your little red coats and your awards all over your chest and stuff. Okay, Sir Julian Sorrell Huxley, born 1887 to 1975 was an English evolutionary biologist, eugenicist, and internationalist. He was a proponent of natural selection and a leading figure in the 20th century modern synthesis. This is good. He was secretary of the Zoological Society of London. <laughs> During the 1950s, these groups would redefine eugenics as socially progressive with linkages to the newly formed and comprehensive welfare states that offered solutions to poverty and disease. The Rockefeller Foundation heavily financed the modern eugenics movement and think tanks, they, they're always going to bring up Tavistock, would give birth to many influential individuals and social organizations. However, go look at my shows about, um, it, it, it was, um, You know, the group before Tavis I've talked so much about. Anyway, it'll come to my mind in a minute. I'm a little fuzzy today. Okay, so um, Huxley, I see it right there in my brain. Huxley adapted, excuse me, Huxley adeptly associated the new and modern eugenics movement with a range of reformist ideologies, such as popularization of birth control the discrimination 
decriminalization of homosexuality and abortion law reform. See, there's another thing. They really push gay people, but then, anyway, not the time. He described this process as eugenics modernization. So that would be popularization of birth control, the decriminalization of homosexuality, and abortion law reform. The basic premise remained the same. However, it is far easier to eliminate the poor and the suffering than it is to eliminate the complex and tenacious sources of their poverty or their suffering. So, um, a plethora of New Age organizations, that, that all came out of that UN business, the New Age business. A plethora of New Age organizations and movements will arise during the era of counterculture. So, Bill Gates, the key to understanding Bill Gates' exposure to eugenics concepts is to trace his family past. Bill Gates' father, William, now these really aren't their parents and stuff, right? We all understand this part, right? Bill Gates' father, William H. Gates Sr., was a prominent banker and a lawyer in Preston, Gates, and Ellis. He also presided over many bar associations, organizations, boards, and started the Technology Alliance, a regional push to expand technology-based jobs throughout the 20th century. Importantly, Gates Sr. served on the board of Planned Parenthood during the group's infancy, a rebranded group burst out of the American Eugenics Society. And yes, there was a quote that Bill Gates talked about his dad um, and this group. Because when you look at Bill Gates and conspiracies, you will find a million <laughs> theories about Bill Gates. But I'm just trying to keep it simple here, okay? So, um, yeah, so Planned Parenthood, um, just, these people kind of go off here a bit. Okay, so Planned Parenthood has recently gone through their second executive in eight weeks, uh, eight months. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, um yeah, Planned Parenthood, they will give kids hormones. They sh you show up that day, you'll walk out with a prescription for hormones to change your sex. But once a girl takes that first shot of testosterone, boom, they probably got their sterility there right there, okay? So that's what Planned Parenthood is. And now, with this latest thing with the hormones, it's really fast-tracking the whole birth control, right? They're teaching kids not to want to have sex with the opposite sex, but to, to change their sex. So. In order to change their sex, they want to give them hormones. Well, those hormones render them sterile in probably 99.9% .9 of the cases. Of course, not a lot of studies being done, so I'm just guessing. But yes, women can't really take testosterone and then still plan to reproduce is the general idea here. So it went on to say, Gates' father would take the concepts learned at Planned Parenthood and incorporate them um, oh, incorporate them into building the foundational blueprint for a new era of philanthropy activities that remain to this day. And this was interesting because it said Will William Gates Sr. would continue his eugenics efforts by becoming instrumental in the formation of a new 
philanthropic brainchild called the William H. Gates Foundation in 1994. The group, like Planned Parenthood, would first focus on improving reproductive and child health in the developing world. After pioneering philanthropist activities, the company merged with the new Gates Learning Foundation to create the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in 2000. The mythologies have evolved leaps and bounds since the early formation of the movement. However, the objective remains the same. This time, the new multifaceted approach would see the philanthropic group partner with powerful United Nations organizations like the World Health Organization, who are you going to call, and UNICEF. Today, the group is focused on, yeah, we know about the group, okay, but the group is um, mainly funded by um, the top two funders for who you're going to call are the United States and the Gates Foundation. Starting to smell the eugenics of the air here, kids. So, um, I'm not going to get into all the things, but here again, um, they were they purchased a lot of shares of Monsanto. They're always doing two things, okay? Um, and Melinda Gates has also made women's issues one of the top priorities for their philanthropic work. And also keep in mind, Melinda Gates is a man wearing a wig and a rather ugly man, if I do say so myself. Melinda Gates is a man. They have all these men in positions to let us women what to do. So th her job also includes the decision to elevate contraceptive promotion and population control as arguably the single most important part of her work. She has been openly criticized for these moves. In 2017, the Gates Foundation pledged another $375 million for family planning with the goal of providing contraception to 120 million women across the world, particularly in developing countries. This emphasis on blanketing developing countries with artificial contraception for which women aren't asking for reeks of social engineering and paternalistic eugenics thinking. The fact that couples in developing countries often desire and value large families means nothing to many Western elitist philanthropists. The not so subliminal underlying presu presumption is that women who desire large families simply don't know what's good for them. As such, they need to be educated <coughs> and encouraged with large-scale foreign-funded advertising companies and coercion. <coughs> so, um, they go into all the stuff about, you know, Bill Gates, they did all the preparedness. They always do preparedness before these events, and they film these preparedness, and then those preparedness things leak, and people go, oh, look, they're planning ahead of time. Well, yeah, they do plan ahead of time. <laughs> this is a big eugenics project. As a matter of fact, Katrina, they had prepared ahead of time, but a year ahead of time, but then there were allegations that, of course, they never followed up with any of the plans. And another interesting thing I found out about Katrina this week was that what, what really blew Katrina loose was those levees broke, okay? 
Well, there are some pretty strong implications that there was dynamite used on those levees, which essentially wiped out, wiped out, wiped out um, New Orleans. So, anyhow, so anyway, so let's get back to um, lots of ways to play the eugenics game, right? Lots of ways for them to play it on us. Okay, so. And he was also an early investor for the Global Alliance for Vaccines, which is called Gavi, G-A-V-I, a word that should be top of your list of people, okay? They're really big with the Gates Foundation. Um, so anyway, so what we're going to do now is, um, you know, like I said, um, <clears throat> I'm going to play this. This clip, I, I, I've said enough about Bill Gates for right now. Uh, let's play this clip. And this clip is an interview. Bill Gates has founded a company called Terra. Terra, okay. Terra Power. Anyway, so Terra, the whole idea, remember, it's an idea and a concept, okay. The whole idea is that they're right now in the development stage. So what's going on is this, is that um, they're pushing this smaller nuclear thing as being more efficient. And you'll notice, you'll notice his wording, and I'm just going to play the clip and try to be quiet myself because I've got to catch my breath here, but what you'll notice in his clip is that um, they, they make little, <coughs> somebody's coming up here. Okay, son, please. It's okay, honey. Lay down. Lay down, please. Please lay down. Hi. Hi. Anyway, what I'm going to do is somebody here needs my attention for a minute. So what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to move this over here. Sit back, honey. I'm going to move this over here. And that way I can set it on this table and play the clip. And try not to bang in your ear too loud. Give me one second, honey. Please give me one second. I have a small area of maneuvering. <laughs> oh, why did I have to have some coffee? Okay, let me see here. Okay, I think I got it. Okay, now, what I'm going to do is <coughs> play the clip. Oh, now that I've done all this, he's moving, but let me get up and go let him out. I'll just play the clip. That's what this is about. This will work out. Just keep those feet moving. Keep those feet moving. So let me see here. And so it the He's being interviewed about Terra Power. Oh, so I know what it's doing. I know it. I have my speaker on my. Jeez, <laughs> I'm such an idiot. That the U.S. Hold on a second. Uh, I had my speaker on my um, touchpad sensor there. God, I'm an idiot today. Okay, wait a, a second. Year, okay. A year, a year. Okay, shut up, you two. Doing a lot of work on the issue of climate change. Okay, let me get this. <laughs> I have such a small table here. I gotta find room for it because every time I I realize every time I hit something, it's gonna clang in your ears. So. Okay, let me get that there. Okay, there we go. Okay, here we go. In the climate crisis, but now we have the energy crisis. Uh, how has this convergence of crises uh, affected opinions on, on nuclear power? 
Well, climate is getting more attention as it should, and people are realizing that you need, you know, almost three times as much electricity, even in rich countries, and then in poor countries to uh, enable their economies, you need dramatic increases even beyond that. And so if they look at that and say, oh, we also want it to be reliable, that is when it's super cold, we still want, uh, if you have electric heating, that to work. When it's super hot, we want air conditioning to work. And unfortunately, the uh, solar and wind, which will play a gigantic role, trying to use that alone without a, a miracle in storage that we don't expect at all, it just doesn't uh, create the solution. And so having a non-weather dependent, you know, completely green, reliable form of energy generation that can be cheap enough means that there will really uh, have to be some nuclear in that equation. So nuclear is the perfect partner for renewables? Uh, the two can go together extremely well. You know, in fact, uh, the terra power design and perhaps some other uh, next generation designs, it can change and generate over the 24 hour period when the renewables are not uh, fully available. I gotta get myself reorganized here, hang on a second. I should take a picture of all this so you can see that I'm here to nature with all these cords and <laughs> try to juggle them all. second here. I think I got it. I don't realize how much this bangs around until I listen to it after it's playing. <laughs> well, I really banged around. <laughs> okay, so here we go again. Okay, continuing on with him. So it can shift out of that, you know, sunny, windy period of the day where let the renewables do do their thing. And so designing a reliable grid that takes the nuclear piece and that renewable piece, that's an incredible opportunity and, and we, we need to do it. Do you believe that the, the public acceptance issues that still surround nuclear power can be, can be adequately addressed? Well, there are countries that going to the, their population and saying, hey, this, this is important. And so I think those countries, like the U.S., France, U.K., will lead the way. I do think it's important for the other countries who won't be in the vanguard to stay open-minded because, you know, not only is the history of nuclear power relatively safe compared to other ways of making energy, the opportunity for a new design to be dramatically safer not have an afterheat uh, problem, uh, for example, is actually quite exciting. And, and so it, the energy of the leading countries uh, is much higher than ever before. And you know, trying to back approaches to get rid of the economic problem. I mean, nuclear really, uh, the acceptance thing is, is very, very important. But the reason nuclear has gone 
gone down somewhat is because the cost of third generation plants disappointed people, the amount of time and money that went into those. And so we need a design that uh, puts us in another level economically less than half uh, the cost of what's come before. But with that comes a chance to build in passive safety systems uh, that I hope people take a hard look and understand that the record, you know, per unit of energy generated, uh, is is relatively quite good. Um, you know, none of the sources of electricity today are completely without negative side effects. So, innovation is that the the sole answer to the cost and the construction time uh, challenge that nuclear power has faced in some countries. Yeah, in some countries are good at building reactors quickly. Um, what you, the ideal is to get a reactor that the US uh, National Regulatory Commission you know, looks at super hard and says, okay, this is very safe, and that can be built uh, far more easily. The smaller reactors are going to completely be built off-site. Um, the TerraPower, which is a bigger reactor, is trying to build the vast majority off-site, uh, but then the assembly, because it's a very large thing, and you can't stick the whole thing on a train car. Uh, so there is uh, on-site assembly, but you know you want that to be dramatically less because that's you know delays and costs and the on-site skills you need has been a, uh, a challenge uh, for the third generation, and so. Uh, yeah, improving the construction time, the economics, you know, safety, uh, using, getting more out of the fuel so you uh, don't run into a fuel shortage and you reduce the waste problem, you know, a design that clearly doesn't uh, promote proliferation. It's a, it's a challenge. Uh, you see how he mumbled under his breath, doesn't promote proliferation? Let me play that again real fast, okay. They'll, they'll give out these little cues as they're going along. Let's see here. I'll play the whole thing for you to listen to it. Uh, using getting more out of fuel so you uh, don't run into a fuel shortage and you reduce the waste problem. You know, a design that clearly doesn't uh, promote proliferation. It's a, it's a challenge. See, kind uh, of bubbled past it. You know, I think the world is up to this challenge. We can digitally design and simulate a reactor. And so, you know, looking at, okay, what would a plane crash do or a volcano or an unexpected earthquake, you know, the, those old designs, there was some, you know, pragmatic views about it, but they couldn't simulate the, the tough conditions. And now that is allowing us to not only meet those constraints, but also optimize the design quite a bit. So you're a technological innovator. Can the regulators keep up with you guys? The regulators are super important. Without them looking at the safety and being extremely rigorous about the safety, the public will never uh, trust these things. So yes, the regulators need to be properly funded. Uh, they have to have some incentive not just to say no to everything, but uh, I think having a very collaborative view where they they go off and 
very independent way pass judgment. That is a critical part for this new generation. Nuclear power has uh, kind of long been seen as a technology for rich countries. Are we getting to the point where it's now ripe for middle income or developing countries, maybe through SMRs? Well, the goal that Terra Power has is to, to be a technology that would help electrify Africa. That won't come first because you need to get the ritual regulators, you need to prove that everything works, and you need the volume to get the cost down. I mean, basically, no nuclear plant has ever been built the volume. Out of the 400, there's so much variation that, you know, you have four or five identical at best. Uh, here, we want to get to, you know, 40, 50, and so your, your cost can go down a great deal. So although that won't come uh, in the early stages, enabling the countries in Africa to have lots of electricity, that's part of my motivation for my, my engagement. Uh, whether SMRs can do that well, or whether these larger units are needed, you know, that's healthy competition. How important do you see the role of international cooperation for example, through the IAEA, to facilitating the safe and secure deployment of advanced nuclear technologies? Well, it's absolutely critical. Uh, nuclear is very complicated, and we can't expect every country independently to figure it out. Also, the issues of avoiding proliferation, those are very complicated, and the world depends on uh, the, the global agencies that have that expertise. You know, we don't want to have it so that every country has to have its own nuclear industry. You want whether it's making <laughs> um, fuel, making the parts for the equipment, you know, reviewing the safety. We want the combination of global thinking uh, so that that, that uh, is done the best it, it can be. So, you know, climate is, means that we need nuclear uh, solutions and that's only comes through global cooperation. Bill Gates, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, global cooperation. I don't think I have a whole lot more to say because I have been saying for quite a while, and go look at my shows in the last few months, nuclear facilities are about eugenics. And who are these people? I stand by my statement. They are nothing but gypsies, tramps, and thieves. <laughs> for, um, oh, what's his face? King King David? No, King, what is he? I don't know. Elizabeth's son. <laughs> or, you know, the one she calls is her son. Anyways, um, his wedding invitation. Um, they, had, they had this little green head at the bottom. And that little green head means they're pan god. P-A-N god. You know, I've talked about that. Pan for the pandemic. They actually put that little green, so now if you see a little green person thing, that can also mean 
hand, that's a level of freaks these people are, right? They're just a bunch of thugs in expensive suits riding around in gold carriages and gypsies, tramps, and thieves says it all. Be safe out there, kids, and goodbye for now. Oh, one last thing since I've been on this mafia roll. The CIA was founded using Marshall Plan money. Remember after World War II, they used Mars, they had Marshall Plan money that the United States was giving out to people? Well, where'd most of that Marshall Plan money go? Well, it went into forming, <laughs> I couldn't make this up if I spent another hundred years. It went into forming the CIA using Marshall Plan money, and it was started in cooperation with the Italians. If this isn't a mob operation, I rest my case. And instead of gunning us down the street with machine guns, they're using nuclear. Be safe out there. remember next time you see a picture of Larry Fink from Blackrock, you know, the one that puts children in, in uh, slaughterhouses, he doesn't have a penis. <laughs> Larry Fink is a woman, okay? They are freaks. This is nothing but a coded freak show. Just keep that in mind. And for some reason, they want to destroy our DNA <laughs> like their DNA is so good. Okay, I'll just leave you with that for now. So be safe out there and goodbye for now.